Welcome to all those that have already been offered uh, this morning. My name is Milton. It truly is my joy today to open up God's word and to share with you the things that God has laid on my heart to share with you. Before we, speaking of which, uh, return next week to our study of the Sermon on the Mount, this week on the, just one week into the new year, the Lord just really impressed upon my heart a desire, partly because we have uh, someone being baptized today, but also because I believe it's an important topic that we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ need to study from time to day. I'd like to do my best to share with you my understanding of what the scriptures say about the ordinance of baptism. To accomplish that task, if you look at your notes, you'll see that I'm going to ask and answer six questions about this uh, uh, ordinance that is given to us uh, by the Lord himself. As I do, I hope to clearly demonstrate that baptisms uh, are very important to the church. It's significant not only for individual believers who become uh, believers and become, uh, and, and become, yeah, be baptized as we're gonna see today, but I also think it's important as a church who's trying to be obedient to what God has shown in this word. And even I hope to show you there's some significance for non-believers to see it as well. The first question, if you're taking notes and following along that I wanna ask and answer today is what is the basis for baptism? What is the basis? And if there's one thing that I can uh, unquestionably assert from God's word today, it's that baptism is a command of the Lord. That is what I believe to be the basis for baptism. As Bill just reminded us from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gathered his small band of faithful followers uh, just prior to his ascension and going back into heaven, he, the resurrected Savior said these words again. All authority, verse 18, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's very interesting as you dig into this text in the original Greek, you quickly find that the only direct command in the entire passage here is make disciples. And thus the Great Commission, although it is often called that, is, it, it truly isn't just about evangelism, it's about making disciples. That is the primary focus. And going and baptizing and teaching are participles all meant to teach us the manner or the means by which we fulfill this primary command of the Lord of making disciples. Practically speaking, that means that while disciple making begins by sharing our faith in the good news of the gospel, once a person admits their sin, turns to Christ for salvation, it must be followed up by baptism and teaching them all that God has commanded if that process is to be complete. This process, commands Jesus, is to be repeated, uh, repeatedly done everywhere in all nations, it says, until the very end of the age. And what a promise God gives us here by saying, I'm with you until the end. And as a result, as we look at scriptures today, we'll see that throughout the book of Acts in particular, this specific directive was being carried out as first century disciples were being made all over the then known world. And one of the reasons we're sitting here today is because of their faithfulness to carry out this command. That brings me to the second question that I'd like to ask and answer today. 
And that is, what is the purpose of baptism? What is the purpose? To answer that question correctly, I believe it's essential that we recognize that biblical uh, baptism is primarily a means of identification. It's primarily a means of identification. Take, for example, the baptism of John, the Baptist with uh, Jesus here, Jesus being baptized by John. At first glance, it may seem as though Jesus' baptism has no purpose at all. He, after all, is sinless. He is the Savior himself. So why then did John baptize Jesus? I believe that the baptism of uh, Jesus by John the Baptist was meant to identify Jesus as God's beloved son, the forerunner of whom John the Baptist had preached. It also officially identified the start of Jesus' public ministry. And we see this same concept of identification throughout the, uh, the book of uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that identification being uh, uh, looked upon as uh, for the same word baptism here. I want to share one, one of the most common, 1st Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 say this, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized in that, again, that idea of identity or identified or united into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The phrase baptism into Moses here is being used as a comparison. It's not an exact, um, an exact equivalent to the Christian experience of being baptized in Christ, but Paul uses it here as a lesson. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, where we're told that all believers have been baptized. We have been united or joined together in the body of Christ. He is our head, and it is him who we have trusted in. Look at what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit, for in one spirit writes Paul, we were all baptized, we were all identified, we were all united into one body. Notice Jews and Greeks slaves and free we were all made to drink of one spirit and here's the thing that identification with christ in his body when we fully understand it and when it's properly applied i believe will or should have a profound impact on the life of a believer and the life of the church let me show you romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 look at what it says do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into christ jesus were baptized into his death we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too, don't miss this, we might walk in the newness of life. Amazingly, I, never, I can never fully comprehend what Paul is saying here in my heart without getting excited about it. It's the reason we're celebrating here today. Amazingly, Paul notes here that when a sinner you and I place our trust in Jesus as our Savior. It's just as if we died with him. And when he arose from the grave, demonstrating to the entire world that uh, his complete victory over sin and over death and God's full acceptance of his sacrifice and redemptive work, it's ju just as if we rose with him. As a result, according to verse 4, sin, hear me, brother and sister in Christ, Sin no longer has mastery over us. It no longer has dominion or control over us. And now we are positionally made new in Jesus Christ. Specifically, that's all possible because Romans 6.6 6 tells us that old self, that fleshly nature, has been crucified with Christ, literally rendered inoperable. Now, that's not to say 
that uh, our old sin nature no longer exists. I know that's not true in my life, and I'm guessing that's not true of yours as well. But it does clearly teach us here that it has lost its power. It has lost its dominion over us as followers of Jesus Christ because of our identification with Christ's death and burial and resurrection. Folks, we have been singing about this all morning. We have been rescued. We have been redeemed from sin and darkness, and we have been welcomed into God's kingdom family because of the work of Jesus Christ. Paul writes about this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the things have become new. In Christ, Paul notes, we are not merely reformed or rehabilitated. In Christ, we've been made new. Amen? Amen. In addition to being a public testimony of a believer's identification with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, biblical baptism is second, a powerful visualization of the gospel. When a person biblically is baptized, that believer is immersed under the water, depicting their identification with the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. Coming up out of the water, that candidate, that believer, depicts the power of the resurrection and the new life that they now possess in Jesus Christ. And in short, without even saying a word, that believer's baptism is preaching a sermon that all of us hear. And generally speaking, I can tell you from personal experience, this baptismal sermon is more effective and impacting on the hearts of friends and family than just about any sermon that I'm going to preach from this pulpit because it directly and personally comes from the heart of that person being baptized. And that's the third thing here. Biblical baptism is a public confession of one's faith. In the early church, the waters of baptism, the believer declared dramatically and visually, I confess faith in Jesus Christ, unashamedly confess faith in Jesus Christ. He has cleansed my soul from sin, and I am now raised with a brand new life in him. It's a decision, uh, like putting a stake in the ground, and it often came at a very costly price for them. Those of us in this nation, we, we don't fully understand that, but in in, in, in the early church and in many places around the world, to place that stake in the ground, to say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ means rejection from family and friends, the loss of jobs, beatings and arrest, and sometimes even death. Here in America, we celebrate baptism by going out to Applebee's and having lunch and celebrating. In contrast, as I read this week, one of the statistics I read that the majority of the cultures outside of our Western Hemisphere Baptism is a mark of clear deference and often brings about bad treatment and responses from others, especially in countries that the other religions are dominating. With that view in mind, something that struck my mind as I got to this point in my preparation, a question that came across my mind, and I want to ask you to think of it with me for just a moment, will you? I want you to be honest with yourself. How dramatically would our lives change if suddenly, like so many fellow brothers and sisters around the world in Christ, it became illegal to practice our faith, to sit here in total peace and celebrate like this, to get baptized. Imagine if that were suddenly to become illegal. 
in our nation. Praise God for the liberties we have. And I ask that for that reason, because I fear that, uh, that we, and, and I'm including myself in that, often take our religious liberties for granted. How we choose to use them, how we misuse them, how we underuse them, I believe is sad. How dramatically would our lives change if suddenly, like so many fellow believers around the world, it became illegal for us to worship, practice, and serve our Savior? The third question I would like to ask and answer today is, is baptism a requirement for salvation? There are many who would say the scripture presents an argument that baptism is a necessary condition for, baptism, or for salvation, but I believe I can disprove that with one biblical narrative. Jesus told the thief on the cross next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. If baptism were necessary, I believe he would have been screaming, hurry, someone get a hose or a rain barrel or something. And elsewhere in scripture, I can point to numerous occasions and references where it clearly and explicitly states that salvation is received by grace through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to give you a few examples. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 are one of my favorite. And here we are shortly told, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Can we say it together? Ephesians 2 and 9. Let's say it out loud. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Confess and believe. That's it. Perhaps William, uh, William Temple says it best when he writes, the only thing that a man can contribute to his redemption is the sin from which he needs to be redeemed. My friends, scripture is so very clear. Baptism is indeed an important step of obedience after salvation, but it cannot be a requirement for salvation. In fact, I would submit to you today that when we add anything to the gospel message, including baptism, is to say that Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient to purchase our salvation. Now, that being noted, I had a Sunday school teacher, a very wise Sunday school teacher, who used to remind us all when I was a kid, yes, baptism is not a requirement for salvation, but it is an evidence, one of the evidences of it. It's like this wedding ring, right? It's like this wedding ring. Wearing a wedding ring does not make you legally married. It demonstrates that you have made a covenant with your spouse. I am no more married when I wear this ring than when I don't. My wife would argue with that different, but, but in the same way, baptism demonstrates conversion. It is not a precondition for that conversion. And thus, those who are being baptized in our church here are being baptized not to get saved, they're getting baptized because they are already saved and they want to testify publicly their identity and their identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, frankly, if anyone gets into this baptismal pool and they do not know Jesus as their Savior, 
all they're going to do is get incredibly wet. That's about the only impact that's going to happen. Which brings me to a fourth question that I want to ask and answer today. Who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? And let me answer that question by showing you that within the pages of Scripture, especially the book of Acts, there is a pattern, a definite pattern that comes through loud and clear. And example after example, as I spent time in the Word of God this week, I found that once a believer, once a, a sinner placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, very shortly afterwards, in most cases, immediately, they were baptized. I want to show you that pattern. In Acts chapter 2, for example, at the birth of the church, we're told that after preaching a, a dynamic sermon by Peter, the result was some 3,000 people placed their trust in Jesus Christ and, and were added to the church. And immediately, it says in verse 41, those who received the word were baptized. Later, in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, we discover that shortly after Saul, who would later become the apostle Paul, became saved. He put his trust in Jesus. You know that dramatic story of how he lost his eyesight. Something fell like scales from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he rose and noticed he was baptized. Acts chapter 10, verse 48, we're told that after Peter had led Cornelius and his family, a Gentile, to Christ, verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And finally, but by no means an exhaustive listing, because I could give you more. We find that in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, that the, the Spirit of God led Philip to go to the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that story? And according to the scriptures, here was this Ethiopian eunuch sitting in his chariot. He's scratching his head trying to figure out what this passage in the book of Isaiah is all about, acknowledging that passage to be a prophetic uh, pointing or description of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're told that Philip used that opportunity to present the good news of Jesus to him. And then look at verse 36. And, and they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch declared, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I love Philip's answer. If you believe with all your heart, he responds, you may be baptized. To which the Ethiopian immediately Reply, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 38, look at what Scripture goes on to tell us. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he uh, was baptized. And I believe clearly as I looked at Scripture this week that new believers within the early church were immediately baptized or shortly afterwards when they put their trust in Jesus as their Savior. And that's why here at Chantilly Bible Church, we encourage all new believers, all believers who have genuinely trusted in Jesus Christ to be baptized as soon as possible. Baptism is not something to be done when you've arrived spiritually. Let's face it, we never uh, get to where we want to all be spiritually. It's an, uh, an act of obedience. It's an opportunity to profess our faith in Jesus Christ. And let me add something here as I say that. Often I'm asked by parents, well, what about my child? How old should they be before they get baptized? And maybe some of you are thinking that right now. My response is always the same. The important thing is to take the appropriate time necessary to confirm a child truly understands the meaning and the significance of what they are doing. 
And since baptism is a public expression of one's identification with Christ's death, his burial, and resurrection, I believe there ought to be some evidence, some testimony of genuine conversion in their life. Even as young people, you can see that. I like to tell parents this. Children are ready to be baptized when they move from wanting to be baptized to needing to be baptized. And I think there's a difference. Let me try to explain. A child who wants to be baptized because they saw little Johnny or Susie get baptized on Sunday because it looks like fun is not really ready. Maybe that's the start. A child should instead, in my opinion, be baptized when he or she has had, you know, seen the obedient working of the Holy Spirit creating an urgency for them to know that they need to be baptized. And that takes time, and we have to invest in them. So as parents and as children's workers here in their church, our role is not to push our kids to be baptized. Our role is to simply come alongside of them, teach them well, modeling the Word of God and trusting God to work in their heart and bring them to the uh, place where they recognize their need for Jesus and put their trust in Him and get baptized. That's the fifth question I want to talk about here. What's the mode? What's the appropriate mode for baptism? Well, at Chantilly Bible Church, I'm sure you can see we have a, a baptismal pool, and uh, we believe that people should be submerged for at least two reasons. Let me share those first. Every indication that baptism was administered in the, in the scriptures, especially the um, early church, was by immersion. John the Baptist, for instance, was not standing on the shore of the Jordan River with a cup of water throwing water on people's heads. He brought them into the water. He was dunking them. Likewise, in Acts chapter 8, verse 38, when Philip was uh, baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, we're told that they went down into water, which to me indicates a fairly large body of water. Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, interestingly, if you look at the word baptism in the original Greek, it literally means to plunge or to immerse or to dip. It was not actually a religious word. When, it, when I think the scholars of Scripture and the writers of Scripture grabbed, it was used as I looked at some of the writings at this time to describe ships and people that have gone down into the sea or uh, dyeing, uh, dyeing a garment in a pot. My favorite, favorite illustration was a recipe for pickle making recorded by a Greek physician. He literally says, bapto, as you dip it quickly, the cucumber into the water, then baptizo, immerse them in, in, soak them in vinegar. And then he says, your pickle will walk in the newness of life. <laughs> I made that up. <laughs> but you can see how the, the, the word was used in the, in the culture at that time, to dip or to submerge. Second, we submerge people because of what it symbolizes. Remember, it's the death and the burial of Jesus Christ and his resurrection that we are symbolizing. When we bury a person, we don't sprinkle dirt on them. We put them under the ground. And, and, and it must be noted that while the verbs here, I think it should also be noted as I was digging into this, that the, the verbs to pour or to sprinkle appear in the New Testament. Neither is used for baptism. And I would add no usage has been found where baptizo means to pour or to sprinkle. Uh, Christian uh, baptism illustrates or identifies the, the believer with the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. And the idea of being placed under the water so beautifully depicts that. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 4 tells us, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. My final question after presenting all this, and I know I've given you a lot to think about, is, and, and I want to answer this too, is why should all, in my opinion, why should all believers be baptized? I want to give you three reasons. Biblically speaking, I believe that there are at least three reasons. Here they are. First, baptism, as I look at Scripture, is a first step in a lifelong process of obediently putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not necessary. I want to say that again. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. It demonstrates, I believe, a submissive, growing heart to serve God. It is not the end but it is the beginning of a lifelong, a lifelong commitment of growing and serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. First step in a lifelong process. Second, as I noted earlier, I believe baptism is an opportunity for believers to give a public witness of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's so important, not only for the body, but for anyone here who may not know Jesus. In the, as I look at baptism, a baptism is an opportunity to unapologetically affirm our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are secured in our salvation, not by our works, but in what Jesus has done. As his disciples, we are unashamedly seeking to serve and represent him, and we're standing up here and we're confessing that in a, in a, in a visual way. And finally, the third reason I believe that uh, we should be baptized. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a matter of obedience. It's a part of obedience in the Christian's life. Several years ago, on the night that my, my oldest son, Chris, was being baptized, he was 10 at the time, we invited my mother and father-in-law over for supper, for dinner, and uh, we were all enjoying a meal, a wonderful meal of fellowship together, and uh, I don't know what got into Chris, but with a childlike curiosity and innocence, he decided to ask his grandparents if they had ever been baptized. When they told him no, much to the shock of a parent, you know, everyone here that's a parent knows what I'm talking about, Chris decided to go a little deeper and ask, well, why not? And my father-in-law, who's usually not one that can't find words, was so caught off guard that he just basically said, well, Chris, grandmom and grandpops are much too old to get baptized. <laughs> to which Chris responded, and I quote, I did not know you could be too old to obey Jesus. <laughs> well, not too surprisingly, the next night along with Chris, I baptized my mother and my <laughs> father-in-law too. God is good, isn't he? Over the past 30 years of ministry, I've heard lots of reasons why believers don't wish to be baptized, and I'd like to just kind of walk through them. Maybe some of you are struggling with what I've shared here today. For some, I think it's a matter of never really being informed, never really hearing what I just shared with you. Uh, we come from all different types of churches, different beliefs. Maybe this is new information to you. You've never really had the opportunity to hear or take the time to dig into the scriptures and look at what God says about it, about baptism. My humble prayer today is that 
what I've shared with you might help you to better understand what baptism is and that you will seriously look at how God wants you to respond. For others, I think it could be a matter of embarrassment. Let me explain. Maybe you became a Christian several years ago. You've gotten plugged into the church. You've gotten well-established. You're serving. And maybe it's a little bit embarrassing for you to now step up and acknowledge, hey, I've never been baptized. And then I think there's still others that are fearful that what, about what their friends or what their family might think. And so they, too, decide not to get baptized. I remind you of what Proverbs 29, 25 says here, when the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in Lord is saved. I've heard this over and over again. And I'll be honest with you, when I was wrestling with this as a teen, this was me. I put off baptism because I felt unworthy, not ready to be baptized. I didn't have a lot of mentorship in my life, but I was, I was ashamed you know, of some of the things in my life. But, but clearly, according to the scriptures, new believers in the early church were baptized immediately or shortly afterwards after they placed their trust in Christ. And I really believe as I studied the scriptures this week and over the last couple weeks, actually, the only thing that stood between a believer and the waters of baptism in the early church was a lack of personal belief in Jesus Christ. Remember what Peter or Philip's response to the Ethiopian union was when he saw water. According to verse 37, you remember what Philip told him? If you believe with all your heart, you may. Do you believe with all your heart? There's also some here today, I'm sure, that are struggling with not getting baptized because of just the fear of the process. Maybe the idea of standing up front in front of people, you don't like attention. Maybe the idea of, my mother-in-law was scared half to death. I felt like I was putting a board under the water in the, you know, being immersed in the water. Um, a lot of people are afraid of water. Maybe you're fearful of public speaking. They say that's the number one fear of most men and women here today. But, um, but let me urge you, come and talk to us as a pastoral team. We'll do the best we can to come alongside of you, overcoming your fear. And by the way, if standing up in front of people, we don't make a habit of it, but we are willing to you know, do a video so you don't have to stand up front here if that's the only thing hindering you from being baptized. I think also there are some people here today that are unwilling to be baptized because maybe they're holding on to um, the baptism they received as a child, that sprinkling. But as I study scripture, I'm just going to be honest with you, and I hope you'll hear me from my heart. If you were baptized before you trusted in Jesus, say, as an infant, that really wasn't evidence of your faith. That was an evidence of your parents' faith. And therefore, brother or sister in Christ, I believe it's God's desire that you biblically be baptized based on your own faith and your own commitment to Jesus Christ. Think about that. There's also likely some believers here that are waiting for a convenient time to get baptized, which often never comes, right? I want to urge you, if that's true of you, what are you waiting for? That light at the end of the tunnel is always another train. You know that. So plan it. Go forward. And finally, finally, I believe there might be some here today who are not being baptized because they're not sure if they're saved. Of all the reasons I just shared, that may be the only reason with merit uh, because as I look at Scripture, you're right, a wholehearted belief in Jesus Christ is the only thing standing between you 
and being baptized today. So if you're not sure, I want to urge you to come up and talk to us. Let that, let, 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 let find out what's going on. There's nothing to be embarrassed about or uh, it, it's worth seeking out the truth about that, having a peace. I heard it said tomorrow isn't guaranteed, but eternal life is promised to those who have redeemed, been redeemed by Jesus. Please come up and talk to us, one of the pastors today. In the final analysis, as we're going to see here today, we believe that the most biblical way to be baptized is the immersion of a believer under the water. And if you've not done that, and after today you have some thoughts about it or questions about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. Any of the pastors would love to talk to you about it. I believe it's such an important step, as I mentioned earlier, in our walk and commitment to Jesus Christ. Let me just say this. Um, I wanted to say something to those who have already been baptized, you're a believer, and something that struck me years ago. I was in a baptismal service and 45 years ago now, and uh, the pastor turned to the congregation, kind of splashed some water out of the baptismal pool and said, remember your baptism. I went, what? Remember my baptism? Um, but then he went on to say, don't remember the day or the act of your baptism, but celebrate and give thanks. Remember, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who gives purpose to all baptisms. Remember, he said, how the Lord called you to himself, not by any merit of your own, but by his grace. Remember, too, and we're going to sing about this tonight, or today as we wrap up. Hopefully it won't be tonight. Um, remember, too, how God called you, even made you one of his adopted son, an heir. That glorious day that we sang about earlier. Remember, baptism is like a wedding ring, right? It, 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 it is an outward symbol of the commitment we made in our hearts to believe, to serve, live, and share Jesus Christ every day. A commitment that should be followed through and lived out on a daily basis in our life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Imagine, if you will, for me a moment, a church filled of believers, the impact if we remember daily all that we own and possess in Jesus Christ. Every day, how would that change the way we live? How would that change the priorities of our heart? How would that cause us to interact differently with one another and relate to the Lord? So I urge you, just as that pastor, I'm not going to go splash water on you, but remember your baptism. As I'm praying now, I want to invite uh, Mike and Jenny. They're going to be making their way back to be baptized, and let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for this uh, time together. I thank you for a reminder, Lord, of uh, the work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, how we are indeed new creations in Christ. And for this opportunity to uh, demonstrate that visually now in the, uh, the worship uh, service here today through baptism. I pray, Lord, if uh, there's anyone here, first of all, who has never come to know Jesus as their savior, that they'll come and talk with one of the pastors today that we can help them work through and settle that and give them peace in their heart through through that relationship. I pray if anyone is here and is wrestling with the, the whole 
concept of baptism, that you work in their hearts, Lord, work however you wish. And I thank you again now for this time and commit this uh, uh, worship service to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Chantilly Bible Church, our mission is to make fully devoted followers of Christ who love God and love others. And part of being fully devoted is being obedient to his call for us to be baptized. It's that demonstration like Milt just shared with us. Our identity, not just who we are, but whose we are. And so I'm very excited to get to uh, celebrate with you uh, that story of that life change for our sister in Christ, Jenny's McKinney. So I'm going to invite Jenny's to come down and Come on in and share the testimony of all that God has done in your life. Hello, my name is Janice McKinney, and I am very excited to be here today and to follow Jesus' command of obedience to be baptized. My past experiences with religion and church taught me a different Jesus from the one who he truly is. Before I met Jesus, there was an emptiness in my heart that I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to pray. And instead, maybe I just repeat words that sometimes didn't come from my heart, but from memorized prayers that I learned when I was little. <clears throat> I had no idea that I could pour out my heart to Jesus, that I could talk to him, cry with him, and have a meaningful relationship with him. When I learned who he truly is, and I put my trust in him, I had the most beautiful encounter with a God that not only listened to my prayers and that cares for me, but that also gives me comfort and a peace that surpasses any understanding. A savior who gave his life for me on the cross and paid the ultimate sacrifice to erase my sins so that I can be safe and have a new eternal life with him in heaven. Now I see Jesus as my Lord, my Savior, my healer, my good father, my safe place, my everything, and I know that I cannot do life without him. I wish I had learned this truth earlier, at an early age, but I know that God's plans and timing are perfect, and everything happens for a reason. Now that I have put my trust in him, and now that I don't have to do life alone anymore, because I learned that he is with me always, and he fills me with his unending love, with his grace and his kindness. I also learned that as I walk through the valley of shadows of death, I won't fear, because he is with me. And that's all that matters. I now know that I cannot rely on my own strength, because I would fail, but that I can do all things through him, because he gives me what I need. There is nothing I can do to repay back this goodness and how merciful he has been to us, to me. But I can live and walk in a way that honors his name and that can show others the real loving God and good father that he is. Thank you. Jenny's as your Brother in Christ, it is truly my joy and honor to get to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised to newness of life. 
Let's celebrate this new life uh, and the reality we have of the gospel hope in Jesus by singing together one more time. So stand with us.